0: Welcome to the Decent People Podcast, a production of Decentral Media, where we're committed to telling the stories of the founders, builders, and visionaries who are creating a new decentralized economy and internet experience. You guys know it as Web3 or Blockchain, but we're going to bring you the smartest and most interesting people in the space for intimate conversations that reveal their background, how they got into crypto in the first place, and what they're doing today to make a decentralized future a reality. Thanks so much for joining us, and check out our site at Decentral.io. Now, to the show. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Decent People podcast. I'm your host, Matt Weising, and we are joined today by Kirill Gertman, who is the founder of Conduit, which is a DeFi uh, platform that allows users to plug into uh, higher yielding assets, uh, on one place. Uh, Kirill was born in the Ukraine and has uh, spent a lot of his life all around different parts of the world. It's great to have you here, Kirill. How are you?
1: Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm doing pretty well. And that was, there was a pretty apt description of what we do in my life in a very short couple of sentences, <laughs> which is, which is cool. Um, but yes, um, doing pretty well and thank you for having me. Yeah. So first off, I had to
0: ask do you, do you still have family in Ukraine?
1: I actually, I don't have very close family there anymore. Um, my grandparents who were the ones who kind of left, uh, who stayed there as we left, uh, they've passed away since. And so I don't have close family, but I do have uh, more distant relatives and, and uh, friends. And we actually have employees of Kandor that, that are there now. Uh, and hopefully like everyone's okay um so far at least so hopefully they will they'll continue to be okay
0: oh that's good yeah i wanted to ask about that um well you i believe when you were born in ukraine it was still part of the ussr is that correct that's right so you, you you're gonna date
1: me that all right yes i can i can date myself but that's you and cool. me both man i
0: remember when the berlin wall Wall, wall fell so it's okay <laughs> you're among friends
1: yeah, I, that no that that's kind of Maybe not, not rare these days, but you know, people don't don't seem to recall this. But yes, I was when I was born uh, Ukraine was called the Ukrainian SSR, which is like the, the socialist republic, right? Of, of of USSR. Um, and I think my the first uh nine, ten, ten years of my life, right, we we spent there. So um it was a very different uh, place than than it is today, obviously. What
0: uh, part of the country were you born in?
1: Uh so the city that where I'm from is Haikov which is, uh, it's actually on the sort of northeastern uh, side of the country. And this, it is one of the cities that's been invaded by, uh, uh, by Russian forces recently.
0: Yeah. Um, and what were your impressions of it? What you said you were about nine or 10 before you left?
1: You know, it's a pretty industrial city, I have to say, like, maybe a, a good American analogy would be Pittsburgh or a place like that, right? That had a lot of uh, I'm of heavy industry in, in, you know, back in the day. I don't think that's the case anymore, but, you know, back in the day. And, you know, so you kind of think about, uh, you know, concrete buildings things like that, factories. Um, but I, I enjoyed my childhood, right? I, I think I had a kind of really great time uh, when I was a kid and uh, back then it was a very safe place. I could kind of go and ride my bike and, you know, not worry about the thing in the world. So I remember it uh, fondly yeah
0: that's great um did you have brothers and sisters
1: no i'm actually an only child okay and what were your mom and dad doing um so my mom uh she was a teacher um teacher uh, biology and my dad it's interesting because he uh he was part of the reason why i got into sort of computers and, and you know related engineering related things Um, he was working for, um, I'm thinking, how would it be called in English? Essentially a statistics center. So he was doing a bunch of statistics and working on, I think what would be called the mainframe, but back then there was kind of the only kind of computer that was available, right. You had punch cards and all these sort of things. And that's, that's, that's how I got a little bit of a, of a taste, I guess, a little bit of introductions into the world of, you know, computers in general, I guess.
0: Yeah. When my dad started at um, the jet propulsion lab here in Los Angeles um, in the late sixties, the, the first programs they were doing were all punch card programs. So yep. yeah, these mainframes, they took up like three quarters of the room. They were enormous.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I remember he would bring these parts punch card home, like, you know, as a kid, I would just like drawing them or like make little things with them. And I still remember these little cardboard things with the holds. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then, wh- why did you guys leave Ukraine? Was it uh, w- it was was it still part of the USSR at that point?
1: It was actually right at the point where it was sort of breaking up, and w- which was probably the reason why we left, right? So it's a it's an experience that I think not not a lot of people uh, in the West can relate to because, like, you essentially have uh, the country that's that's breaking apart around you, right? And uh, not even like, and you don't even think about this in the grand political sense. You just think like social kind of services stop working, right? Police are not getting paid for like months, and so they don't show up on the streets anymore, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, so we thought, okay, I guess my parents thought I was still still a child, right? My parents thought, okay, that's probably not the best situation for us to be in. And like like many other people, um, they they left. So uh, we uh, we actually ended up going to Israel. Uh, because there's some Jewish ancestry in, in, in my family. Uh,
0: and like, what were you like as a kid, were you like your, your dad kind of sparked a little interest in computers for you? Were you like a technical kind of person into science or more on the sports side? Or what, what were you like?
1: Um, you know, so it's kind of funny because yeah, he did spark that interest in me and I, I kind of followed it for, for a while. And actually, I think maybe in my, in my teens or, or late teens, um I actually decided that that, that was boring, and <laughs> I decided and that was that was part of the reason because I was basically on a path to become an engineer, a developer right? So like I started coding a bit, you know, very simple things like basic and stuff like that for very early on. And I kind of did this for a while and I thought that's not the way for me to be the most creative and I which wasn't, this is not actually true, right? Just, like, listen, it's no, you can be really creative as an engineer. But back then I thought, like, I want to be a designer. I want to be more of an artist. And uh, it, that that actually led me to, um, you know, the, uh, I, I pirated uh, 3D studio for DOS. <laughs> I don't know if I should say <laughs> I think <laughs> it's been long enough ago. And it's probably okay to say this. It's, it's it was, it was like 25 years ago or more. Yeah, I think you're fine. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope I'm okay, yeah. Um, but um, so, and I started playing. So, with what did 3D DVD. Studio
0: do? What, what, what did it allow you to do?
1: Yes, yeah, so like it, it actually allowed me to build like models of things, you know, I mean, and then even animate them a little bit. And I thought this was really neat. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, and I could make like little, you know, little uh, models of people or whatever and have them kind of move around and, and, uh, um, and I decided I wanted to be in the sort of visual effects kind of gaming industry, right? Okay. Uh, computer games and stuff like that, because that's that's fun. Um, so uh, I actually did this for uh, for a little bit. Were you doing any of these like classes in school, or were you self-taught? Primarily, yeah, really self-taught, and everything. I uh, again, one of maybe one of these things that maybe I shouldn't be saying, but I actually never finished high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was kind of that. Uh, and yeah, I just kind of, kind of got in, even today, I would say even this company, right? Like I've, uh, most of the things that I'm doing, I'm primarily learning them by, by doing them.
0: That's, that's cool. Um, I always have a bit of envy for people who sort of hit on what they want to do early in life and just kind of like know that path. Um, was there something that you recall about like 3D designs or anything in that period that sort of like? where you knew like, yeah, this is, I want to do this for the rest of my life?
1: Well, I mean, at the time I think, yes, but as as obviously ended up, I'm not doing, I haven't done this in a long time. Right. So it's not, I haven't, I definitely would not say I figured out my path early on. I thought I had, right. But then it over, over my career, it changed many times in fact. Right. And I think, I think what I'm doing now, being a founder, being a CEO is what I want to keep doing right for, maybe the rest of my life, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but I guess to go back to your question, um, I think, yeah, like it was, it was the kind of creativity, the, the expressiveness that I was looking for, right? I was able to essentially create a thing, right? Uh, even if it's a model or a little animation that runs on the screen, but I could create it uh, on my own, right? I could learn how to do it and I could do it. And then I could make a little video and show it to other people. And I'm like, hey, this is a thing I just created, right? um and that that's what really attracted me to to uh to that very much
0: like crypto today that's that's a huge possibility um but let's stay with this for a second so did you start building websites or what did you do with this like newfound design um passion
1: yeah so um i did i did um like i said i wanted to get into gaming and i actually did and i spent maybe a year maybe a little bit maybe a year and a half in that and i realized that you know, while me kind of alone on my on my own, I could create things and just do them. but in the, as I'm sure you know, like in a in a gaming company, a large gaming company, especially if you start at a kind of very junior role, you know you don't get like you don't you don't have creativity, you know you just do what what you're told to do essentially, and like yeah. you don't have you have very little input into a big title. Um, so I kind of found this out uh, after a while and I realized that's not for me. And at the same time, I, exactly as you said, I realized that as opposed to like a game, right, a video game is a huge production, right? It's hundreds of people and, you know, millions of dollars budget, but uh, the website, a website, I can actually build myself, right? I can just do a website. I, I taught a little bit of like backend that I learned how to set up in my SQL server and this kind of stuff and mostly front end how to design like a page. And I started doing that and I realized, yeah, I can do that thing end to end, right? So like I can do it and I can publish it and it can be online and other people can see it just on my own. And I started like freelancing to do that. And eventually I got a job doing that, like with building websites and the it was called a um, a webmaster back yeah then,
0: right? that's right a webmaster yeah. i remember that
1: it's like a cooler name i kind of it's too bad we don't have this anywhere it's a cooler name than you know than like than, than you know a front-end developer or yeah designer. well you've got a lot
0: of different masters you got a dungeon master webmaster you know
1: <laughs> yeah right but that's all very life. creative
0: um, yeah. So what year are we in here? Is this like the mid '90s or something?
1: Um, no, it's like late '90s, early 2000s, I guess. Yeah, so like early 2000s, kind of kind of range. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, and then, so just w- what was next for you? Like, did 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 you enjoy, you know, doing the website stuff? Was it creative enough for you?
1: I did. I enjoyed it. and uh, and also in the meanwhile, as as I was kind of finding my uh, career path, I guess. Uh, my family also moved from israel to canada and i spent some time in canada and then i actually kept on moving They they stayed there still in montreal today but i kept on kind of moving and end up in the u.s eventually um but but yeah i built a bunch of websites essentially as a freelancer then i got hired to my first startup and i ended up being um working a lot in e-commerce actually um which 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 was good which was interesting and I ended up um, maybe after probably seven or eight years, like maybe 2008, I think. Um, I'm sure you can check my profile and whatever. I probably <laughs> got the date wrong, but somewhere in 2008, I was already in the role of like I think a creative director. So I had a you know a team of folks I was working with. I wasn't I was already a manager right? I had some designers. I was I was I was kind of managing and copywriters and that kind of stuff and uh, and it was a lot of fun actually um but i think at that point i also started to get a lot more um curious about how how does a company work how does a business function right and and not just like aesthetically creating things but now how do they actually like how do we make revenue you know what i mean like how does a how do we make uh profit how do we are how are we able to pay people yeah. <laughs> and all this kind of stuff and, uh, and, and that led me to my, I guess, next, next career change after that, uh, which was a, a product manager. So yeah. like I didn't start starting companies just yet then, but I felt that, you know, if I could, I, I started thinking, what's a role that, that I could find that would allow me to have essentially more visibility into how like an organization functions and have some, some impact on this. And, and I realized that was a lot more kind of data driven then, um, so that, that little spark of kind of computer interest still remained, right? And I was very interested in data. And I thought combining all these things maybe sounds like a product manager. And mm-hmm. so I kind of switched gears and I also switched industries. So I went from e-commerce to, um, to FinTech. Um, and I did that on purpose because I kind of looked at the sort of financial industry and this is like 2008, 2010, right? And I'm like, it's terrible. Right. The products are awful in a sense, not just like, not just the UX, but like the products, nobody can make sense of them, right? Nobody can use them, whether that's individual or businesses, they're difficult to use, they're just not good. And I thought, okay, so like technology is going to come in and internet is going to come in and like disrupt all that and change all that. And it's going to be a completely different and much better experience for everybody. And I want to be a part of that change. Yeah, And that didn't quite happen as quickly as I thought it would, you know? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I would argue it still hasn't really happened. Um, exactly. Did, yes. The financial crisis of two thousand eight, you know that that area, like that era, did that color your views as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think so, right? Because that's 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 probably a big part of why I thought the 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 industry was so terrible, right? And then and then the flip side of that, I was thinking, well, if it's so bad now, right? And now we have technology, right? We have internet, we have all these things. It has to change right right and you know and it will change with with technology right it will change for the better right um and just like you said it kind of it, it's on the way i think it's just starting to get there now honestly like it's very far from there yeah um, it's,
0: it's really interesting yeah. i keep hearing this um sort of echoed in, in other stories and people i'm talking to where the internet it disrupted so many interest industries and and took down the barriers to entry to so many things but finance really was not one of them uh you know it still stayed this kind of walled garden uh, area where the products were opaque and the banks like it that way because they can make more money if you don't know what the price is of something then the bank gets to tell you what the price is which is really great if you can um if you can swing that so then i think what a lot of people like yourself included came out of that experience with was just like i you know i want more transparency, I want more control and just like, I want to feel like I'm, I'm actually in charge of what I'm doing with my money.
1: That's, that's exactly it. And I think back at the, back then, I was not sort of personally yet at a point where I thought I could drive the change, right? But I thought it would happen and I just wanted to be a part of it. it is all, right? I thought somebody else is going to come in and, and do that. And I just kind of come, I want to come along with them, right? Because I do think it's important. I do think it's impactful uh, to basically everywhere, right? Money matters to every person, right? In one way or another. And so I just wanted to be a part of that. And um, other people, you know, maybe Satoshi at around the same time were thinking similar things and they did more at the time. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I felt strongly about it then and I actually feel strongly about it now, right? The part of the reason why I started Conduit, uh, you know, is, is because of that. And we'll probably get to that later. I don't like, I'm not gonna, yeah. Well, to what market, was your first, yeah? When did you
0: first um, come across Bitcoin?
1: Good question. I think, um, probably around 2015, I think. Uh, so a little bit later, right? But then I wasn't aware of that super early on, but yeah, I think I was introduced to it by somebody who, uh, uh, who actually gave me, um, probably a Probably a Bitcoin actually, right? Back then, yeah. which was already maybe several hundred dollars. I, I lost it since, by the way. I don't have it, anymore. but uh, <laughs> so many people have that. that same story. <laughs> I know, right? So it, it, yeah, but but um, but that got me thinking, right? So at first, it didn't seem like much, and I was like, what is this saying and you know, uh, what does it do? But I think around the same time, so I kind of in, in my I guess professional life. I kind of moved from fintech actually into banking in the meanwhile, right? So by by that point, I was already I think I was already working, uh, or maybe was soon to start working in a in a bank here in Boston called called okay. Eastern bank, Eastern Labs. They had this innovation kind of division thing going, and. And, and the reason, again, the reason I did this is like having the fintech experience of trying to build on top of bank, right? Because I'm sure everybody knows, right? who's listening to this probably, the way a fintech works, is like you have a sponsoring bank under you, right? Like you have like the actual deposit, the actual money sitting in a in a bank somewhere, right? And so, and I realized, well, uh, kind of again, maybe following the same theme, you can't really actually build a fintech exactly the way you want, because you're always constrained with what that bank allows you to do, right? and and it's fairly actually restrictive right your your checking account your savings account your debit card like they're very set you know what i mean there's very little that you can change about them really and i thought that you know maybe if i can sort of get get deeper into this right get deeper into the stock and like maybe i can figure out a better way to to work with this right so um i realized that no you know <laughs> the short answer is no <laughs> Uh, and like, and like. Well, yeah, it brings years. to mind
0: for me, like, um, what was so fascinating about like Ethereum and Bitcoin, to a lesser degree, was that it's not only a technology and a platform; it's a it's a financial instrument. You know, it's it's a, it's got value embedded right into it, and is is uh, that is um, you know, a, a vital part of the whole a- application. So, you don't have this like separation of like, oh, here's the fiat money rails, and and here's the banking infrastructure computer rails with crypto it's all it's all part of the same thing
1: that's that's exactly right and that's 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 why i realized maybe not right away but you know i think maybe around sorry 20 2017 or 2018 early 2018 i kind of came to that that conclusion basically right i was like well you're kind of really struggling to do something on top of this existing sort of legacy infrastructure right like like you're you're like the the, the the things that we were kind of working on with the bank, they're like they were I think they were written the year was point right? <laughs> they, they they haven't aged any better than I have, honestly, right? So um so I thought crypto, exactly like you said, is a way for us to build new things, right? Without this restriction, without this constraint. We can just you know create new products, um and and not and, and just and have them be more useful, right? More kind of valuable. And um, again, and I think in 2017 that wasn't yet the case, right? With crypto, it was very speculative at the time. You had ICOs, and you had lots of scams and lots of lots of crap like that. And thankfully, that that died down, which is which is good. But um, but now I think we're our to that point, right? Finally, like finally.
0: So what um, was there something? like a project or a protocol or anything like that in in DeFi and in in the blockchain space that really kind of sets your imagination going and and let you like realize that, yeah, this is the direction I want to go and I want to do something like what they're doing and and it's time to go out on my own?
1: Yeah, I think so, you know, uh, the the, the job, the role that I've had before started Conduit uh, I was the head of product at a company called Eco, right? And uh, it, they're doing really great things. They're 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 an amazing company, and I think that's that is exactly the point where the products, what like what Eco does, is very easy for a for a person, for a consumer, for a user to understand, right? You, like as a, as a user of the app, you don't need to know um, what Ethereum is. What are gas fees? How do they work? What's a stable coin? None of that is hidden. You can learn all about this, right? But you don't need to figure this out on your own. What you can do is to, you get the app, you can use it very quickly, very seamlessly, and you get you know 5% interest on your dollars, and this is great. People love it and for a good reason, right? That's what I mean by useful product, where I'm like, this is the the value in this, the usefulness of it comes out of the fact that you can, there is no learning curve, right? You can just take it, pick it up and use it and it's better than your existing bank, right? It's like hundred times better. And like if you just count- the yeah, so, so tell us
0: real quickly, what, what does ECO do? What, what is the function there of the app?
1: Yeah, so, you, you know, ECO and um, essentially if you download the app, it looks very much like any, like any checking account, any bank account or, or a new bank, right? It's you download the mobile app. You can deposit dollars into it. You see your balances in dollars. You can, you know, spend your money on Amazon and uh, have a card with rewards and all these kind of normal things. But, right, but, uh, you know, as opposed to your normal kind of Bank of America or Chase account that gives you like 0.06% interest or something like that, um, you know, with ECO you get like five, right? So that's a huge difference and, uh that's what i mean by value right and the way that it works under the hood is your your u.s dollars are converted into stablecoin usdc right and there's this whole process of it being lent out and and whatnot getting interest on that and then passing to the user so the whole the whole point is that this is great it was not the easiest thing to build right on the back end of this and you know and i thought um that access to to DeFi, which is something, which is what essentially enables this, right? So like DeFi protocols like Compound, like Aave, like uh, Anchor, and many other ones, right? They enable this thing, but they're really difficult to access, right? Like if you are a quote unquote normal person on the street, you know, um, go, go figure this out, right? You, you can't. I mean, you can eventually, but not 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 right away. And I thought this is a a barrier, right? Because if you look at DeFi today, there's probably something like 4 million wallets that are active in DeFi, which is a tiny amount, right? It's a tiny, tiny amount of, 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 of kind of participation. And a way to break that, like a way to get that number to, you know, 40 and 400 million, 4 billion or whatever is is to kind of remove that complexity away, right? That's, I think, from, from hopefully making some sense, but this is the core of what I'm kind of getting at is like the values in removing the complexity right and that's that's what you've done it
0: with conduit correct
1: that's right and it's like that's exactly what we're getting at like we're we're abstracting a lot of this complexity of and we're not we're not retail focused right so conduit is b2b right and like we're we're helping other companies other neobanks build these products which they, make, they can be whatever they can be, right? I'm not even gonna tell them what to build, right? They're gonna come up with their own concepts of that. But my job is the way I see it, at least our job is to make it easier for them. And, and so that they can that they can make it seamless for their users, right? Yeah. And like the whole goal is, is that.
0: And let's um just back up real quick. So so people understand like, well, how can you get 5% interest with an eco account where a bank is paying you, like you said, it's got a zero in front of it, right? Um, yeah. The way I understand yeah, it is, exactly. is once once you convert um, <clears throat> dollars into digital assets, you can go and some people will, you know, first of all, there's a lack of dollars in the system. So um, if you can like lend out stable coins, um, you can get a very high interest rate um, on that lending. So let's say you, you, somebody will pay you 12% to get those stable coins so that you can then Go back to the person who has the eco account and give them five and keep seven for yourself um and then there's other ways of investing that, that garner yield um is that do i have that correct
1: i think yeah the, the, the basics of it are, are are there and i'm not going to necessarily get into specifically what eco is doing but there are other companies that are ups there they're fairly similar right you can think of donut or whatever um but yes there's there's a sort of similar kind of concept across. Uh, across all of them, right? Which is exactly what you described. Um, there is uh, there's a high demand of, especially of stable coins, other assets as well, but primarily stable coins, right? Because they're, well, because they're stable, right? They're, they're pegged to the dollar in various ways. Yeah, they're kind of like um, digital dollars, but not exactly. Exactly, but right. But like they're, they're able to move a lot faster, right? Than, mm-hmm. than real dollars in many ways. They're instantaneous almost um you can move them between exchanges you can use them for various things a lot of the use case like why are people borrowing these things right who are the borrowers that are ready to pay you know these 12 percent or whatever interest rates a lot of them are you know primarily using it for trading use cases right so like these are maybe hedge funds or very very large traders um that need to get access to these assets and that's a quick and relatively easy for them to do it um and that's, that's that's what's driving the, the demand, right? Because like you said, there's not enough of a supply, right? right. So this is the wider is because they have the demand and there's not enough of supply of, of stable coins to bring in.
0: Yeah, it's really so, funny to
1: think that like even today, there's a
0: lack of fiat currencies in digital form so that there is this supply imbalance making all of this stuff so valuable.
1: Yeah, I mean, yes, essentially, yes. And then there are, you know, not just the lack. I mean, there are really no fiat currencies in digital forms until we maybe have CBDCs. There are essentially like proxies or approximation, which are stablecoin, right? So what what happens with a stablecoin? If you look at something like USDC, you still have the fiat that's sitting in the bank account, right? And then you have right. the token that represents that same dollar, but now you can actually move the token faster, easier, cheaper, and all these sort of things. Yeah. And yeah, there's just never never enough of them because most of the Money, most of the money supply, most of the fiat is, well, it's not, uh, you know, it's not paper, but let's say it's more analog, right? It's still, it's, it's actually like, it's, 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 it's most of the money, by the way. It's not, it's, it's, it's also digital. It's just sitting on like an AS400 mainframe that runs right. like a cobalt software. This is where your actual fiat money is. You think I'm joking, I'm not, right? And that, right. that's, that the that, that thing is hard to access. It's you can't move it, right? It's it's very difficult. And so like the real digital dollar is, is a stable coin, yes.
0: Do you worry that like some of these interest, you know, bearing accounts are susceptible to like you know, it's not like a run on the bank, it's not quite the same effect, but a lot of them are going through a centralized um app, you know, or or a centralized company and there's very little transparency there about like, where what are the actual assets you have on hand and what are you investing in? And do do you worry about that? Like, it hasn't happened too much that I'm aware of. I think BlockFi might've had some issues, but I can't think of too many. And I certainly am not implying that it's a systemic risk or anything like that, but I just wonder what you feel about like, if, if retail customers or people coming into DeFi have enough information to like judge the risk of doing this.
1: Yeah, it's look. It's definitely a risk, right? There's no question that it is it is a risk, and it is fairly opaque, right? And then if you're brand new that that you're trying to come into the space, that's actually one of the problems that we we essentially solve you know solve for, which is you're right. There's just not enough information up front. You can do your research, right? And you'll figure it out, and hopefully at least you'll you'll figure it out and you'll come to your own conclusions. But there isn't. You know, there isn't just a simple way for you to say, you know, that one's fine. That one's a little bit riskier and whatnot, right? So, you know, maybe I can, I think I can get even more specific about this, right? So like, if you look at USDT, Tether, right, which is, which has been around for a long time, I think it's the oldest stable coin. And yeah, like with them, it's a little bit less clear. They've produced some audits, they've produced some reports and, you know, they're claiming that um there the backing is i think around 70 percent maybe a little bit less right of of the value of the of, of that are in, in cash and cash i think
0: yeah yeah 70 percent cash 30 percent other yeah, stuff yeah. like government bonds you know commercial paper things like that
1: exactly so and there's there's kind of a couple of issues with that and one is like first of all how reliable are these audits there probably are right but like there's no uh real independent third-party verification, right? One thing, and then secondly, yeah, okay. So what you're telling me now is essentially only 70% of the value is kind of protected and the 30 is, is actually volatile, right? So uh, so there's some risk there inherently, right? And, but then there are other ones, right? You look at something like USDC, for example, and that's a bit different, right? It's, it's similar concept, obviously, but the money is is kind of, it's more, they have produced audits by by Thomson, Raiders and a bunch of other ones. And you know, the money is in US banks it is FDIC insured, right? So like there's more visibility there. But just like you're saying, if you're coming into this brand new, do you know the difference? Not necessarily, right? And yeah. so that's what we're doing. Like we're using USDC, right? For that reason, because it's more transparent and smooth, it's more uh, kind of open about this. So that's why we're using it um yeah if you if you're starting from scratch it's hard for you to decide yeah
0: and i believe i'm correct you're not operating in the united states right now right because the regulatory outlook is still murky but what countries are you working in right now with conduit
1: yeah so uh we're not yet we will be very soon in the u.s but um we are we actually started in latin america so we i think brazil uh was the first country where we went live now, we also have Argentina, Colombia, Chile, and in Mexico as well, and uh, and we've gotten quite a bit of inbound interest from, from Africa, so we've added recently Nigeria and Kenya too. And I think there is, there, there are obviously a lot of differences between all these places, but there's also one uh, commonality, which is like, if you think about their local currencies, their local fiat currencies in all of these places, they're highly inflationary, right? I and mean, in, in, we are experiencing inflation here in the US right now, obviously, and it's quite painful for most people. Uh, but, you know, you look at something like an Argentinian peso, for example, yeah. and they've had uh, 52% inflation over last year <laughs> against the law, right? So like over in a year's time, you lost half your money, um, which is not like, you're not having a good time, you know? <laughs> Um, that's one way to put so, it. <laughs> right, and so uh, what people, what a lot of people are looking for in, in all of these, uh, in all of these countries is, you know, can I get out of my local currency and can I get into something that's more stable, right? And then, you know, when you make the comparison a dollar, even if it may seem kind of volatile inflationary to us, right? By comparison, it's actually more stable. And so, but they don't usually have the ability to buy dollars, for example, directly, right? So stable coins is a good alternative. And then if you can get uh, yield, if you can get interest on that stable coin, that's a great inflation hedge essentially, right? So people across the world in, in these kind of developing economies, they really want access. And this is what we like, again, this, this is really at the core of what we do, right? So we allow them to access these things without having to go through the barrier of like, now I have to learn about this, now I have to understand this, how do I even get like a digital wallet? What is like, what's a seed phrase, like, what, how does any of this works? It's, you know, uh, like, you're, if you're worried about your family's income, right? Like, you're not going to go and learn, you know, get a crash course in blockchain, right? That's not what you need. You just need access to better, like, a better product, better service. And that's, that's where we're powering. Not directly. What you guys are doing
0: a Conduit is in these countries, you're working with, like, financial firms or startup banks to then offer this to their existing customers where they don't like the interface is easy to use and and they don't like you're saying have to dig in there and get their hands dirty with like a key a private key a public key all that stuff
1: exactly so exactly like we're not going direct to every single like all these retail users right we're going to you know maybe there's they're already using let's say a remittance app like a mobile app that has like you know venmo like functionality or whatever or the local startup bank or whatever it is right that that doesn't really matter to us we can enable that company to actually give that, that type of service to its customers. And I think everybody benefits, right? Like the, yeah. the the end user benefits because they have access to something that's better than their current bank account, company benefits and, and so do we, right? And um, that's- Are you, are you getting any pushback
0: from that. the governments themselves? Because in a sense, you're kind of undermining their currency you know, by allowing their citizens to sort of circumvent it. Is there any pushback well, that you're getting or what, what's the, what's it like? And I know it's probably all different, but what's that been like?
1: Right. So I wouldn't say uh, we're probably not big enough for any government to actually notice us yet. Right. So I wouldn't say that, but also in every country where we operate, um, we, you know, we work with the local legal experts, with the local regulatory experts to make sure that everything we're doing is always important. So we will never do anything that's, it's illegal in any way, or even or even shady, or even in gray area, right? We wanna make sure that everything that we're doing uh, is completely, as I was saying, completely above board, completely kosher, so to say. And, and to that end, right, sometimes we have to build, um, I would say restrictions, right? So for example, in main countries in Latin America, one thing that we built is essentially a closed loop system where a customer, you know, let's say a customer deposits from account A they cannot then withdraw into a different account, especially not into a different wallet, into a different country or anything like that, right? So the money has to always come back into the same place where it originally came from, right? Which is, you know, that, that's both for like anti-money laundering reasons, but it's also for the reason that you mentioned, right? So there's not like currency leaving the country. Yeah. It's essentially kind of being lent to us. It makes some money and then it comes right back except now you have a little bit more of it than, than you did before, right? Yeah. And so now you can actually benefit the local economy because now you can like, you know, maybe afford that, that car that you wanted to buy, whatever it is, right? Um, yeah. So yeah.
0: So how, how have you, um, you're working in all these different countries and jurisdictions, what, what's the regulatory approach like, been like for in those different regions and how would you compare it with what the US is doing and, and where things seem to stand here in, in America?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, like you said, it's 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 very different um, kind of case by case, right? So like different countries obviously have very different approaches to this. And, and, and like I was saying, we basically try to figure out on a case by case basis. And sometimes we decide maybe it's not worth it for us, right? Like maybe the environment is too restrictive or we can't operate in the way that we need to. So we just don't, don't do that, right? We don't go into that, that, that country. We do this research up front, right? We obviously do this, like I was saying, find local experts, which is not easy because you know, you don't like the regulations not always clear enough for there to kind of be local experts in it, right? Yeah. Because it's uh, it's happening right now, but we always try to find somebody local. I think it's really key for us, both in terms of figuring out the regulation and actually uh, by the way, in terms of sales as well, right? So we always want to have a person that's there on the ground and understands not just the letter, but also the spirit of the local kind of law and and how, you know, how does the local government agency see these things, not just in, again, in, in written, but maybe what kind of interviews does the head of the local, you know, securities agency give on TV, right? And what does he, what does he say on about that? So we always want to understand this locally. Um, and, and I would say just generally speaking, uh, a lot of these countries, they're a little bit in a sense behind the US, they don't have as much regulation, but that's actually a good thing because it allows for more things to be built, but they are followed, they're watching very closely what the SEC and other government agencies doing in the US they are probably gonna emulate essentially what's happening here. Um,
0: you must be paying attention to what's going on in El Salvador. Are you guys working there
1: yet? Not, Not yet, but yes, so El Salvador, you know, there's, there's a country in Africa as well, actually, just, I think recently last week, uh, also started accepting, uh, Bitcoin as legal tender. So there, there's a lot of movement in that. That's, that is great. I think, um, a lot of people may see this initially as sort of gimmicky and whatnot, but you know what? That's a start, you know, like you start somewhere and then it develops from where and you have to start. Yeah. I think that, that, that's actually great. Um, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um fascinating to see that um well Kirill thank you so much for being here it's been a great honor talking to you and a real pleasure uh all the best with, with conduit and good luck there and um again thanks a lot for coming by I really enjoyed our conversation
1: absolutely thank you thank you for having me
0: okay take care cheers That's it for this episode of Decent People. Thanks so much for listening. Check the show notes for more information on our guests today. and Make sure to look us up on the web at decentral.io. That's D-E-C-E-N-T-I-A-L.io. And on Twitter at Decentral. Have a great day.